morning, everyone. How are you guys doing today? It's good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I want to say something real quickly. Uh, last week, I want to talk about last week right quick. Last week was a snow day, and uh, anytime we have a snow day, you might be wondering what's going on. Do we have service or whatever? Always, you can always check Facebook. We put it on Facebook. We always make the call whether or not we're going to have one or two services at noon the Saturday before. So noon rolls around. You don't know exactly what's going on as, as far as snow day at Faith Co. Church. Check Facebook. We put it on the news or whatever. But for, um, we don't cancel service. We don't cancel Sunday. We just take two services and put them in one and have that at 11 o'clock. So here, let me give you a, a reason why. First of all, if we were to take a poll of you know, the, our, our church, about 30 to 40% of us have four-wheel drives. Most of us have four-wheel drives. Another thing is, if we don't have church or whatever, everybody, go, they go do something anyway. You know, everybody gets out. And I'm not talking about the whole church. I'm talking about 40 to 50% of our church. So our church gets out in the snow and whatever. So it, it, we've, we've tested this for years. The other thing is, um, I can't remember what the other thing was. Hang on just a second. Oh, if somebody, oh, here's what I was going to say. We don't want anybody risking their life to come to church. You get snowed in, you know, you got a, you got a wife that's pregnant or whatever, you stay home. That's, that's not why we do this. We do this because half of our church comes to church on a snow day. Half of our church showed up last week. And we know that we don't, we don't cancel the entire Sunday so people show up. So it's a really cool day. We have fun. We, it's a little bit more laid back. But here's the deal. Here's what we have found out. If somebody comes to Faith Co. Church, and we had some people come to Faith Co. Church for the very first time on a snow day when it was 20 degrees outside. If somebody comes to church for the first time in that kind of environment, God is speaking to them. That's what, that's what we've decided. So we're not going to cancel. Another thing is, if last week, I'll just say this. If somebody was here and gave their life to Christ last week, isn't that huge? That's an awesome thing. So that's why we don't cancel. But we don't want you to feel pressure, and we don't want you to risk your life. I don't want to go to the hospital Monday because it was too iced over, and I have to come see you in the hospital because you had an accident, okay? I'm kidding, of course. But, but don't risk. That's not what this is about. But we don't cancel because we feel like. Another thing is people from other churches come to Faith Co. Church. Uh, when other churches cancel, they come here, and they just learn a little bit what we're doing about, and they go back to their church the following Sunday. It's a really cool thing. So anyway, that's the idea. All right. Let's get started. I've been preaching a message, a series called, well, it's actually called Called. Basically, it's our calling. Today is the last day of that. Next week, I'm kicking off a series called Woke. Basically, wake-up calls. Wake-up calls. People in the Bible that God gave wake-up calls, they were headed down a course in their life. God interrupted their lives, gave them a wake-up call. So you want to definitely be a part of that. It kicks off next week. In 2 Timothy 1 and 8, this is our tag verse. For this message, it says, God who saved us and called us, God has saved us and he's called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, anything that we've done, but according to his own purpose and grace that was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. God has not only saved you, he's called you. That's what we've been talking about, that we all have a calling. That word in the Greek is kalesis, which means our godly purpose, our God-given destiny and purpose. We all have that calling. So what we've discovered is the first week we, we defined calling, but we also talked about how God fulfills his calling through your life through the local church. 
That God has something incredible that he wants to do in your life, but is fulfilled through the local church. He works it out through that, and that's why we want to be connected. That's why we want to be part of the church. Then we talked about how we are called to evangelism, that our salvation is not just about us, but for others that don't know Christ. Then we talked about how we're called to generosity, and last week we began talking about how we are called to discipleship. At Faith Co. Church, we say a disciple is this, somebody that is committed to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. God has called us to make people that are committed to love God, connect with others, and reach the world. Well, I want to continue with that thought today with this second part of how we are called to discipleship. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today, and thank you for the opportunity that we have to serve you and be a part of your church as we lean in to what you would want to say to us about this calling of discipleship. I pray, God, that you will challenge us and change us in any way that you seem seem necessary. And this we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, I want you to look at your neighbor today and say, you need this. You need this. We all need this. In Matthew 28 and 19, it is the most popular scripture used for reaching people in the world. It's the Great Commission. It's some of the last words that Jesus spoke to people, especially to his disciples before he left. He said, go therefore and do what? Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you in the way that I have taught you, teach your disciples to do this. And I'm always with you to the end of the age. So the challenge and the command is to reach the world. He's, back up, will you? He says, I want you to reach the world. Make disciples of all nations. But he doesn't say evangelize the world. He doesn't say go and start churches. He, says, he doesn't say go and have Bible studies. Don't, don't, he doesn't say go and, and have small groups or connect groups. Those are all functions of the church. But the purpose of what he was saying in the Great Commission, how it is accomplished, is through this ingenious plan that Jesus has of making disciples. It's all about making disciples, which is so incredibly brilliant because th- there's no way that that plan of making disciples can be defeated. Let me give you an example. And the New Testament church, after, after they had started this church in Jerusalem, it had grown to 3,000 people in one day. And imagine baptizing 3,000 people in one day. And then Peter preaches this message, and more people get saved. And, and then it goes on, and, and the church in Jerusalem, this New Testament church, is this, has this incredible, this uh, um, unprecedented growth. And then the leaders of the Jewish community and also the Roman world steps in and they're going, they begin to persecute this church in Jerusalem, even to the extent of they're killing them, putting them in coliseums and have them attacked by lions. And there's, so this, it's like against the law to be a Christian. The idea was to squelch out the movement of Christianity and this, it was called the way. And Acts, being a Christian, was called the way. So they were completely trying to do away with that. But in fact, because Jesus gave them a strategy not to start churches but to make disciples, people continued to make disciples. They were having houses. They were having church in houses. And it continued. In fact, the church grew exponentially. And then because they were, they were persecuted, they scattered to different parts of the world. So the very movement that tried to destroy the way of Christianity actually multiplied it. And it was because of Jesus' plan 
to make disciples. That's how we evangelize our world. We, let me review quickly what I talked about yesterday. Let me say this. If you weren't here yesterday, I strongly recommend that you go online and watch this message because it brings context to what I'm saying today. Another reason is, and I don't say this about every message. I hope that you watch all my messages, but that's, that's not what I'm trying to tell you. This, these two messages about being called to discipleship is a lot about what Faith Co. is about, and it's also the values, one of the values of Faith Co. Church. I strongly recommend that you watch last week's message. But here's what... Here's what uh, we talked about last week. We talked about what a follower is of Christ or what discipleship looks like as far as a follower of Christ. Jesus did four things for his followers. And I, I want to tell you this. When I'm talking about making disciples, I'm talking, I, I want you to think of this within the context of you were called to make disciples. Okay. As I'm talking, as I'm saying, okay, one of the things that we're called to make disciples, I don't want you to think, oh, yeah, Travis, he needs to be making disciples. I want you to see this as God has called me to make disciples because the Great Commission was given to all of us. If you believe that, say yes. Okay, so as I, as I speak about these things, we're here on this earth to make disciples. Don't worry about things you can't do about it. Don't worry about, you know, having a, a meeting where lots of people getting saved and, and you're preaching messages or you need to share your story. Don't worry about that. Just worry about on an individual basis as in your life making disciples. Here's what Jesus did as far as discipleship. The first thing that he did, and I'm going to go through these kind of fast because it's a review, is Jesus recruited his followers. He recruited them. He did not have a sign-up sheet Remember, if, in order for you to disciple somebody or for, or for you to follow somebody as a disciple, you, there has to be a calling. There are people that are called to you, and there are people that are not called to you. Jesus did not have a sign-up sheet. He picked people out individually based on their personalities and their passion. The second thing that he did is he invested in his followers. He spent three years with them. I want you to think about people in your life that you might invest in, that are called to you, that you can disciple. The third thing is he imparted into his followers. In other words, he trans there's a, the thing about and the uniqueness of discipleship is that there is this transfer of spirit, that you get my heart. I'm showing you, and, and, and that's, why, that's why, you know, the, the disciples did more than what Jesus did. He told them that. You're going to do more than what I did because he transferred his spirit. And lastly, he sent out his followers, and there's all kinds of examples about that. But that's the idea of a follower, that a disciple is, first of all, a follower, all right? And we, we took all that to, all, the way, all the way around to what does it look like for me to make disciples? And it is as simple as starting in your own home, your kids, your family, your spouse. And second of all, your connect group. That's another reason why we want you to be a part of, of a connect group because discipleship at Faith Co. Church happens within the context of small groups. Why, why is that? Because there is no discipleship without relationship. You can't reach somebody for Christ if you have no relationship. For years, that's what we've tried to do as followers of Christ, reach the world without any relationship. And Jesus really didn't do that. He developed relationships with people. If you're going to disciple somebody because discipleship involves correction, you can't correct me if you don't have a relationship with me. You can't teach me. You can't sow into my life if you have no relationship. So discipleship, number one, is a follower of Christ. Number two, and here's where we... 
we pick up from last week. A disciple learns Jesus. Not only does he follow Jesus, but he learns Jesus. In Matthew 16 and 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, how many of you have ever heard that verse? Say, yeah, I've heard that verse before. If anybody's going to be my disciple, if anybody's going to follow me, if you're going to pattern me, the first thing that you've got to learn is you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Now, there's a lot of context to that that I don't have time to get into, but I'm just going to talk about denying self when it comes to being a learner of Christ. Now, why did Jesus say this at this moment? Now, remember, anytime you study the word of God, you need to study it within its context. You have to read the whole chapter to get the gist of what's going on here. So what's going on is Jesus has, has spent time with the disciples, and he's, he's he maybe, maybe towards the end of his ministry, and he's walking, and he's headed toward Jerusalem, and he takes this poll of himself. He asks all of his disciples, the first thing that he asks them, he says, I'm just curious, who do people say that I am? And one by one, they used to, they, one by one, they began to say different things. Some people think that you're John the Baptist. Some people think this about you. Some people think that you're a teacher. Some people think that you're a prophet. And then Jesus stopped them and said, okay, but let's get real. Who do you say that I am? And Peter stood up and said this, because I don't know if they were all silent. They didn't know what to say. But Peter said, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the Messiah. You are the prophesied coming one of God. You are that person. You're the man. And then Jesus said, you're right, Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but the Spirit of God has revealed this to you. And you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So this is this incredible prophetic saying. And at that moment, I can imagine them all saying, this is all what we've been waiting for. He's the Messiah. He's the coming one. He's the one. We have seen him raise the dead. We have seen all of his miracles. We've actually seen him walk on water. We're headed to Jerusalem. This is the moment that has been prophesied for 600 years. This is the moment that we've all been waiting for. We're about to walk into Jerusalem, and we're about to take over the kingdom, and all the Israelites are going to be freed from Roman oppression. But the next verse, Jesus says, well, it says this, that Jesus began to reveal to them from that moment on, he began to reveal to them that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the leaders and from the Romans, and then he would be killed, but he would raise on the third day. He would rise from the dead after three days. And I'm telling you this story, but you need to read it. It's I mean, I like the way the Bible does this, but, you know, if I would have wrote this, I would have put some, you know, things in there to, to bring context to what the feelings and the personalities. Of course, it was written years ago, but if you read it, it says, then Peter, as bold as he is, take G, takes Jesus over to the side. Jesus, come here. And he says, he says Jesus, you can't be saying that stuff. So, Jesus, listen. I don't want to say this for everybody to hear, but we have given up our houses. We've given up our way of life. We have followed you for the last three years. You have to stop saying that stuff about you dying. You, you have to. Well, we didn't sign up for us to go into Jerusalem and you, for you to die. That's not. We're here to take over the kingdom. 
In fact, I want to be your right-hand man. I want to be on the right side. Just let me know what you need me to do. Have you guys read this story? You know what Jesus says to him? Here's what Jesus says to him. He goes, <laughs> he goes, get away from me, Satan. That's what he says to him. Listen, I highly recommend that anybody who tempts you to do something that you don't want to do or tries to talk you into something, that you don't, I, I, I do that. Get away from me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. He said that in front of everybody. And he brought all of his disciples around. He said, listen to me, this is not going to go down the way you think it's going to go down. Because you're thinking something, God has me taking over the kingdom, God is going to exalt me, but it's not going to happen like the world thinks it's going to happen. It's not going to happen, and I'm not going to be lifted up and exalted the way the world and the way you think that I am. The way and the path to God's will and his kingdom through my life is through humility. And for Jesus, it meant suffering and dying. Thank goodness it's not necessarily your path, but the path of righteousness and the path that God has for you is a path of humility. What Jesus was saying is, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to be teachable. And to be teachable, you have to be humble. God has somewhere that he wants to take you. He has something, and he wants not to only to improve and enhance your life, but he's got a journey for your life. But you got to be teachable, right? i got to be teachable. The most frustrating thing in the world is to try to help somebody that is, that is non-teachable or unteachable. You ever raised any teenagers? Man, I've, I've raised three kids. I'm telling you something. I've got, I've got some that will look at you, and, and when, when you ask them and you say, listen, let me save you some problems. Let me save you some trouble. Let me save you some time. Let me save you some cash. Just listen to me. Let me save you some years. And, 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 and some of my kids are looking at me like, okay. And, they do, and some of them are like, hey, I ain't listening. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm like, please, let me, let me help you. I mean, it's almost like, it's almost like that, that it's worth it to them to blow it for five years just for them to get the right to do what they want to do. And Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to let go of that spirit. you got to let go of that. It's like the very first lesson in following Christ is the path of self-denial. Here's the thing. And I believe that this, and this is something that, this is something that, that I believe that God had to do in my life. There are things in my life that had to be broken. Like, like not, not broke down, but there are things in my life, there were spirits, there were things, and because of my, my life and things in my beliefs and the way I was raised, there were some things in my life that had to be broken. How, how many of you know this? That sometimes for Jesus to make us, he has to break us. Are you hearing me? God, God wants to take you somewhere, and he wants to make something of you. But in that process, the reason we got to be teachable, he wants to make something of us. But in the meantime, he might have to break something on the inside of us. You believe that? It reminds me of that phrase, breaking a horse. You guys ever heard that phrase, we had to break that horse? I don't think that's a very accurate term. I'm no cowboy. But I don't like that term because I'm telling you, I was raised on a small farm. It's more like training a horse. Not some, you don't break a horse's spirit. I don't think you do. Because I don't care who you are, I don't care how good of a rider you are, if a horse does not want you on his back, 
I've learned that several times. I don't care how good of a, if he does not want you on your back, you coming off of there. You're coming off. My brother had this horse we used to ride about every other day. And my, my brother had this Shetland. Uh, her name was Molly, and she was Henri. And I had this half thoroughbred, half quarter horse. And, you know, when you're a teenager, if you've got a bunch of horses, how many of you know you've got to race them every time you take them out? We've got to race our horses. And this, this little Shetland was the meanest little horse I'd ever seen. We would ride through the pasture. We'd ride through the canyons. But when that horse got tired of him on his back, that horse would run back to the stall. There was no kicking. There was no pulling on the reins. There was no whipping. He had to get, her a, 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 get a, a little deal of, the, you know, slap her on the neck. None of that. When she was done, she was done. And she did whatever she wanted to do, and you couldn't stop her. And I remember one particular day, we were out and you know, we were out in this canyon, and this canyon, at the bottom of it, it had about, I'd say about three or four feet of water in it, and I'd say it was maybe about half the size of this room, and we would walk our horses, you know, it was important to be able to walk your horse through water, and if they got deep to swim, you know, we did adventurous type of horse riding, you know, so we were riding through, and, and his horse walked out in about knee deep of water, and then she started pawing the water, and he was kicking her. He was about 12 years old. He was, he was kicking her, and he was pulling on the reins. He was slapping her behind, and she was pawing the water, enjoying the water, you know, just giving it one of these. And uh, They don't paw, do they? they? They have hooves, don't they? She was hoofing the water. I don't know what you... So anyway, she was, she was kind of, you know, flicking her tail, and all of a sudden, and I tell you what, that horse with him on the back, laid down in the water and started rolling around in the water. He had to get off. He was soaking wet. Here's the deal. If, and I don't know that much about breaking a horse, but I've seen them. It's a process of time. That, that a trainer has to develop a relationship with a horse. He's got to, that, that horse has to trust that person. And then, you know, I, I've seen them. They put like a little lead rope around them. And then they try to get him to walk around slowly with that rope. And then pretty soon they'll put a halter. It's a process that, that leads to being able to ride that horse. And then eventually when, they, when that horse trusts him, they'll, they'll put just a blanket, not a saddle, just a blanket on that horse. Have you seen this? They'll walk that horse around and they'll put him on you know, one of those big spinning wheels or whatever. They'll get him to do that for a little bit and put the blanket. Then eventually they'll, they'll put a saddle on him. And after a, a long process of time, they'll train that horse where they can ride and or to do its function and fulfill its purpose. A wild horse is beautiful, but it really doesn't have a lot of purpose if, if you're going to work that animal. You ha it has to be trained. Training a horse to be useful for its purpose. I think that what God does in the process of breaking us, the point isn't to break us down. The point is for God to take and break some things off of us in order for us to be useful in his purpose and calling. If you believe that, say amen. Let me ask you a question. Is there something about you? Is there something on the inside of you or something without you that needs to be broken? Ask yourself that. Sometimes we need to allow ourselves. It's, God will not break you. God will not break things off of your life if, you, you, if there's no spirit of self-denial. Is there something that needs to be broken? Sometimes the best thing in a situation is for it to be broken. Some relationships need to be broken. Some hearts, they need to be broken. 
Some, some lives, some, some spirits, some rebellious, stubborn wills need to be broken. Some habits, the best thing for that habit is to be broken. And when we allow ourselves to be broken, he doesn't always mend it. What happens is he gives us something brand new. But in order for God to give us a new life, a new sense of something, a new, a, a new purpose in life, we have to allow ourselves to be broken. The other day I was in my kitchen, and whoever built my house built it for really tall people. Because to get in the second level of my I have to carry a stool around in my house. To, I, have, I have ladders all over my house for my closet, for my kitchen, because, you know, it's, it's way up there. Well, I was reaching beyond my gifting. And I went to get a glass lid, and it just comes rolling out. You know, it was you know slow motion. No, big glass lid. And when it hits the granite counter, it explodes glass all over the place. I cleaned up glass out of my coffee maker, out of my, I mean, just, you know, just got to throw everything away. But I was thinking to myself as I was sweeping all that up off the counter, getting it, you know, what if I had to put this lid back together? There are some things in our lives because of the mistakes that we made, because of our sin and our lifestyle, it's just, it's just too broke. <laughs> it's broken. But God doesn't mend what is broken beyond repair. He gives us something brand new. There's no condemnation for those that are broken. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who's ever in Christ Jesus is a new creation. But you got to allow yourself to be broken. Listen, he may have to break something in you in order to make something of you. Let me say that again. He might have to break something on the inside of you. He might have to break something off of you in, in order to make something of you. But the point isn't to break you down. The point is to break something in you that's keeping you down. It could very well be that the reason that you can't take the next step in your life or you can't move beyond and, and, and heal is because you have this something, God needs to break something on the inside of you. The point, isn't, the point isn't to beat you down. The point is to break things on the inside of you or to break things away from you that, that's keeping you beat down. The point isn't to hold you back and to keep you somewhere. The point is to break something on the inside of you that's holding you back. So go ahead and allow God Allow your loving Lord to, to, to break you because he's trying to make something of you. Amen? It's the first step in being a disciple. So a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus, somebody who learns Jesus, and lastly, a disciple is someone who lives Jesus. In Philippians 4 and 8, it says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, listen to this, because the Apostle Paul is discipling people and he's telling people what this looks like. He's saying it begins with your mind. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what does he say there? He's, what is he telling you to do? Think. Think about these things. Because the first step to a renewed life. The first step to going and walking in and, and following after Christ begins with your mind. He's saying, think about these things. Here's what it looks like. The things that I've shown you. Think about those things because it affects the way you live. Once again, 
a, a true disciple of Christ is somebody who lives Jesus, not just talks about Jesus, not, not just goes to church, but somebody who lives Jesus, and he's saying that begins in your mind. And as you begin to think about those things, the ninth verse says this, what you have learned, what you have received, and what you have seen in me. Remember, he's making disciples. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's saying, he's talking to this, he's writing this letter to the, the church of the Philippians. He's saying this, what you, what you have learned, what you have received. What do you mean received? Well, some things, some things are caught, or some things are taught, and some things are caught. Sometimes, the, sometimes you just can't explain it. You have to come over and say, hey, 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 look at this. This is what we're trying to do. He's saying, so what, you've, what you have learned, what I have taught you, and what you have heard or what you have received and what you've heard and what you've seen me, practice these things and the God of peace will be in you. So the things that you've seen me model, the things I have taught you, I, I want you to live those and how you live those things is you practice them. I think it's interesting that doctors refer to themselves as what they do as practicing medicine. That's interesting. What do you do? I'm a practitioner. What do you practice? Medicine. Hmm. Who are you practicing on? That's what I think of, right? If you think about it, and the reason, you know, I, within the context of something that happened to me, one time I, I injured my finger, and it, it, didn't, it didn't make any sense to me. So I went to see the doctor, and then they x-rayed my hand, then he came out, and then, you know, I saw the doctor, he x-rayed my hand. The next step is, this is what you need to do in order to get better. And the doctor came in, he was a really good doctor, really sharp, and he was highly recommended. So I'm like, so what do I need to do? And he said, well, we're going to try this, and we're going to see how that works out. And then, if that doesn't work, we're going to do this. And I, that wasn't good enough for me. And I said, well... I just, can you, can you give me a shot? Or can you, can you just take care of this? And he just, he said, Mr. Hurst, he said, medicine is not an exact science. It's going to take some time. What works for some people may not work for you. Oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. I want, it, I want a quick fix. I believe that that's what the Apostle Paul was saying. You're not, you don't, you're not going to get this down in a day. You first got to begin with your mind and you got to start thinking about some things. And then the things that I've taught you about, I want you to start practicing those things. This is what a disciple does. They, they, they practice what they've been taught, what they've seen, and what they've heard. Amen? So that's what the Apostle Paul, he writes this from prison. He says, will you do me a favor? Could you do something for me? Don't just tell me what it is to be a disciple. Show me. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, show me. I'm going to close with this. In 2 Timothy 1 and 13, let me just give you a little backstory. If you don't know the story of Timothy and Paul, the apostle Paul, obviously he was a, a, an apostle. An apostle is basically a disciple of Christ that had an interaction with Christ. And they would have disciples and apprentices. The Apostle Paul, you, you've heard of him. He wrote most of the New Testament, wrote most of it from prison. So the Apostle Paul goes into this place 
known uh, in those days as Asia Minor. I think it's modern-day Turkey or somewhere like that. And it, they were starting churches. He was starting churches all over the place. And then he wrote these letters to these churches. But he first would leave these churches after he established them. He would put them, he would put a pastor in there, and then he would support that pastor. And he would write him letters to read to his church. And he looked at Timothy as a spiritual son. You can see in his writings that Timothy was a very special young man to him. He was saved. Timothy was saved under his ministry, and when he saw his potential, he took him under his wing. What was unique about Timothy is he had a Greek father and a Jewish mother, or it might have been vice versa. But he kind of got the best of both worlds. So Paul took him and made him a special uh, disciple. And also he made him a pastor and put him in this church uh, in, in, in Ephesus. And if you read First and Second Timothy, these are the last two books, or the last two letters that Paul would write before he left this or before he was martyred. And this is Second Timothy, which is the second book. And it's, and it's the opening chapter. He says this, Timothy, and I want you to see this as some of his last words that he said, Timothy. He says, Timothy, I want you to follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I want you to, you've seen me for years. Just follow the path that I've laid, the pattern that I have for you. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, look what he says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. At this point, there wasn't, there wasn't you know, he had instructed him as a pastor. He says, I, I, I want you to put these things into practice and I want you to guard what has been entrusted in you. Paul goes on in the last, I believe it's the third chapter, we see the last letter, the last stanza, the last chapter of his life and he says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I think I've done everything that God has called me to do. My work here is finished. And then he goes on to say to Timothy, Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. After all that he said, after all of his instructions, after he told him how to set up a church, after he had showed him how to do these things, he said, now, Timothy, I want to tell you this. Fight. And never stop fighting. Fight the good fight of faith because it's a fight. Then he talks about his treasure in heaven and the things that are laid up for him. And as I read that, man, it's just gripping to me because these are the last words. The last words that were written by Paul was to a disciple of his. I have a question for you. Well, let, let me just give you a, an eternal reality. We all leave this life. Let me tell you something. Nobody gets out of this alive, right? We all die. Good news, right? Thank you, Pastor Travis. Thank you for that encouraging word today. And I want to ask you something. Rather than what you're leaving behind, I want to ask you, who are you leaving behind? Who is your Timothy? Who is the person that you're going to transfer your spirit? Or who are the people? Jesus had 12 disciples. 
Who are the people that you're going to transfer? Who are you leaving behind that you are discipling? What will you leave this world? That's one thing to say, but another thing that I want to say, not what will you leave this world, who will you leave this world? Who will you, who will you leave this world that, that's going to carry your spirit that's going to carry your passion to reach people for Christ. The reason that Christianity has survived the last 2,000 years is because somebody left it to somebody else. Because of this great plan that Jesus had to make disciples. So who are you discipling? Who am I discipling that we're going to leave our, our legacy to that they will take this? And as Jesus said, he looked at his disciples and he says, you're going to do greater things than I've ever done. Who are we going to pass this on to because of our investment in, because of, of our commitment to, because we have showed them and modeled this. They take this and they stand and deliver the message of the gospel to, to, to people in their lives and do even greater things than we do. That's the plan that Jesus had for us. Who is your Timothy? Who are you investing in? I want to leave with that question because Jesus said for us to make disciples. And I want to challenge you today. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, for speaking to us today. Thank you, Lord, for this incredible idea of reaching the world by making disciples. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us to evangelize our world by reaching one person at a time. And I pray, Lord, that you will speak to us today as I believe you have challenged every one of us. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that person will surrender their life to you today. As your heads are bowed and maybe God is speaking to you today, Maybe God, maybe you're saved and you know that you're called, but you've taken a couple of steps back from this idea about discipleship. Or maybe you've never thought to yourself, God has called me to reach, to reach people, to make disciples. And we've talked about, we've talked about that. That's not something that is some grand idea. It's a matter of starting in your home, being a part of your connect group, people that are called to you who... Who can you reach? Think about that as I pray with you right now. Lord, I pray for every person that's here. And all I'm doing is challenging us and reminding us of what you have challenged us to do. I pray for every believer here. Lord, may we walk forward and fulfill the calling that you have given to us to make disciples. That's the challenge today. Lord, I agree with those that are here that we do one thing today, one thing tomorrow that takes us a step in the direction of making disciples. What does that look like, Lord, for our lives? I don't know what that looks like for everybody else, but what does that look like for each of us? Deal with us. Will you just pray that right now? Lord, I pray that you will, Lord, you will show me what the next step for my life is as far as making disciples. In the name of Jesus, believe that same man if you'll continue to bow your heads I want to pray one more prayer if you're here today and you don't know Jesus 
and he's not Lord and Savior of your life. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ today or maybe you walked away from God at some point in your life. Whatever the case may be, you know that you're not right with God and today you want to be right with God. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Listen, I won't ask you to come down here. I won't single you out. We don't do that here. I just want you to say a prayer right where you're seated. And I'll lead us all in that prayer. We'll all pray it together. But I'd like to know if I'm praying for people. So just between you, me, and God, if you can say, Travis, I'm not right with God, but today I'd like to make a decision to follow Christ. Real quickly, just put your hand up and put it down, and I'll pray. Can anybody say that? See your hand right there, and you can put it down. Anybody else? Just so I know I'm praying for people. I see your hand in the back over here. See your hand over here. Anybody else? One more time, then we'll pray. I'm just going to ask one more time in case you've been thinking about it. See your hand right there. You can put it down. Okay, we're going to pray. And as we pray, I'd like for the entire church, as we always do, to pray with me. And if you lifted your hand, say this prayer out loud. And if you didn't lift your hand, or if I didn't see your hand, say this prayer, because God sees your heart in this. Let's all pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm before you today, and I give you my life. And Jesus, I ask you, and I invite you to be Lord and Savior of my life, to come into my life, to forgive me for all of my sins, and wash me clean and whole. I believe in you, Jesus, that you died for me and rose from the dead. And from this moment on, my life is committed to you, in the name of Jesus, amen. Come on, guys, let's celebrate. Welcome to the family.